questions, questions, questions. So I think we got halfway through last time, so that's quite good. So you, are you ready to go? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've girded my loins. <laughs> the girls will be pleased to hear that. <laughs> I'll include that now. Hello and welcome to uh, the, I think it's the th fourth uh lockdown podcast from uh, on landscape here where i'm sitting in a virtual room with david ward and joe cornish hi david and joe hello tim hi tim um we are going to continue this installment with the, some of the questions that we missed last time um i think we got through about half the questions uh so we'll we'll have another go this time we may have to carry on to a on to a third one because we have had some more questions since but let's get going for the first question, uh, which is one from Paul Mitchell, who's asked, I've been enjoying revisiting some of my favourite photography books over the past few weeks, one in particular. Is there a book you keep coming back to, David? Oh, damn, I knew you were going to ask me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, would, what would be my the book that I keep going back to? Um that's a really difficult question. I tend to dip in and out of things quite a lot. Um, but I suppose uh, in terms of photography, probably um, Paul Wakefield's um, retrospective that um, uh, that he did with Eddie Ephraim. So I think that, that is an, an amazing book. And I, I'm really always fascinated by his way of seeing um and it's nice to see them nicely reproduced, considering how appallingly, basically, they were reproduced in the in the seventies and eighties, eighties, um, I suppose they were, weren't they? Eighties, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and other than that, I suppose it would be um, something like um, uh, some of the Elliot Porter books, the Iceland book by Elliot Porter. I love. Oh, the Iceland. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, those those um, original Paul Wakefield books with with Jan uh, Morris, the second name Morris. Jan Morris. Yeah, I think they were done in multiple editions, and some of them were, were appalling. Um, none of them were particularly great, I don't think. But it was it was very very tempting when you kept on seeing these great pictures, but going, I just wish I could see the originals. I was going to say, but before we get give the impression that they're all terrible, it's worth making the point that the photographs are absolutely wonderful. It's just that the mm. the, the quality of printing was uh, was better. That you know nowadays it would be much better. One would hope, anyway. That makes it so much worse, doesn't it? A great book with bad printing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, so the Porter book is not. Not brilliantly printed, I don't think, but the photography is amazing. I think there's that there are a lot of books like that from the eighties and earlier. Um some of the black and white books fared a bit better, I think. You know, four colour yeah. blacks and they were a bit more careful with the screen size. Um uh Joe probably remembers. There was a was it Dine Nippon Joe in Japan who did very good colour printing in the eighties. Yes. Um they had a, a very big screen, didn't they? Because a lot of it was printed on 150 175 or something like that which was yeah very dotty uh and then quite often out of register which was very frustrating but as a photographer you could still look at it and you could go god yes the pictures are great i just wish they'd spent some money on the repro yeah well to be fair i think i think printing that was the uh, the age of the revolution in print 
the 80s and 90s in particular, easy to forget that uh, that printing, you know, was utterly transformed during that period. You know, think of the, I mean, David, you and I can still remember the whopping strikes from the early 80s, um, you know, which was simply one small dimension of what was changing in the in the, in the print industry back then. And and we saw then, you know, the dominance of black and white, all the all the top photographers of the day, really, almost before Paul Wakefield and Charlie Wake were all black and white photographers. You think of uh, Raymond Moore, John Blake Moore, John Davis, yep. uh, all wonderful artists. And their, their work was, as you say, well reproduced for the most part. Uh, but colour was was very difficult. It was difficult to reproduce it well. Uh, and so I think colour photographers were always restrained somewhat by that. Uh, I, another Elliot Porter book I wanted to mention is the collaboration with James Gleck, Nature's Chaos, uh, which Fantastic is a book, really yeah. superb book. So, yeah. Um, and, and of course, it is yeah worth saying that he is the great pioneer, really, of colour landscape photography. So would that be one of your choices, Joe? Well, I was going to ask you what your choices would be, Tim. But in fact... Um, you, that, yeah. that buys you some time, <laughs> doesn't it, Joe? <laughs> it does. Very now, clever. I'll give you... I, I will tell you, actually, that my... Your move. Yeah, no, my... Well, my interest would... Uh, or over the last year or so, uh, Sally Mann has been a, a big inspiration for me. Partly because I find her work incredibly challenging. So I've been dipping back into her into her t- the two books that spring to mind, which I think both of which are really worth recommending. The first is a small paperback called Hold Still. And it's a really incredible read. It's an autobiography, uh, but it's much more than an autobiography. And I think anybody who's interested in the creative process, be they photographer, painter, musician, dancer, whatever, would be fascinated by that. Um, and the other... Uh, the other work of hers is actually not really her book in that she didn't write it, but it's about, it, it's a, a much larger book. And you've got it, Tim, I think it's called A Thousand Crossings. And it's yeah. it's a great book to have because it, it displays her work at very high quality. Uh, the, the essays in it are academic and a little bit worthy. But uh, if you really want to see her photographs well reproduced, then that's the place to go, I'd say. So that, those for me, and it might sound like a strange choice, given that they're black and white. You know, she's a very much a black and white artist primarily. Um, but I, I love her creative process. Uh, and, yeah, her life is just fascinating. And she's such a good writer. The the, the story in Hold Still is, is a great read. Have either of you read it? No, I haven't. No. no. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well worth a read. Yeah. Definitely. I'm behind the curve on this. <laughs> and Tim, what about you? Uh, me, I'm just desperately going through my old ordered books to try and find out which one I would. Actually, no, there is there is one in particular. I was trying to find the name of another, but uh, a Shinzo Maida book called uh, A Tree, A Blade of Grass. Oh, I have that um, one. Yeah. And it's uh, fantastic. Mm. Uh, it's, he's, I suppose you could say the original colour photographer from Japan. Uh, and very Japanese and aesthetic, and and a wonderfully printed book from printed in Germany, I believe. He had a big following in Germany. I've got the German uh, translation of it, or the German language, the original German language edition, rather. So yeah, yeah, that was one of the best printed. And the other, the other one I've been going back to recently is um, a compilation of uh, photographs from the Somerset House exhibition called Landmark. Oh yeah, which, I've got that yeah. great book. Yeah, Same yeah. here, which, yeah. which is. Curated by William Ewing, 
um, which is just a fantastic cross-section through contemporary landscape photography. Um, and you'll probably, most, most landscape photographers who are like, will hate a lot of the pictures in there. Hate, maybe a strong word, but there is some... <laughs> not, not see the, the worth. <laughs> yeah, not see the worth in it. it it's, many of the pictures rely on a, uh, a written philosophy behind them to understand what's going on. But some of them are just absolutely jaw-droppingly beautiful at the same time. So I think it's well worth a, a look, um, and, and many photographers would get something out of that. Definitely, a very it's very thought provoking. I went to the original exhibition at Somerset House as well, and uh, yeah, yeah, it did look amazing. Uh, and my only regret with it was that I, I felt that it was quite incomplete because, you know, for let's, oh, I, I hate to divide people up in this way, but if you think of, of um, the community of which on landscape represents, uh, there would definitely be some who would who would work in those in those fields that. Uh, that Ewing uh, identifies, highlights, but equally there's a large number of, of photographers who are, are out photographing the landscape in a more well, more straightforward way, or maybe a more traditional way, or you know, maybe in a way that uh, that doesn't uh, necessarily convey a, a very hard-edged or bitter uh, quality. Um, so the, there was a slight lack of roundness for me in the show, but it was a fantastic show and there was some wonderful it's photography. Interesting, interesting word, bitter. Well, that was very interesting. Mm. Well, I mean, you could you could argue that it's it's very reflective of the uh, the environmental uh, kind of um, side or end of landscape photography, and I would say actually more the artistic uh, side. But there's there's a lot of of really uh, scenes that are, are hard to take because they are so um, unpleasant to look at um, in terms of the uh, of, of what they represent, and perhaps those are the ones which some of which really depend rather on more conceptually rather than on form, um, and and that for me is a bit of a weakness. But you know, every, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and there is some great photography in it, and it's well worth getting a copy of that book for anybody who would like to. To look it out. I think it's 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 looking at the landscape photography world from the eyes of a critics and academia. I think, uh, if anything, yeah, it has that angle to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, and that puts a lot of people off, doesn't it? I mean, I've got some several academic kind of treatises on photography here, which um, say interesting things, but in a very uninteresting way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is a problem. Um, it is, that's a really fascinating thing, though. You know, if we, I mean, for me, I think the joy of seeing is such an important part of photography, and uh, and and seeing the world around you in a in a way that you find exciting, refreshing, creative. Um, and actually, a lot of the work from that exhibition strikes me as being very dependent on what's constructed in the mind rather than through the eye. Uh, and and in that way doesn't work so well for me. But having said that, as I said, there is some great stuff in there too. Well, I was just going to say that an awful lot of uh, art since, well, I suppose even since Michel Duchamp and the and the Fountain has has depended upon a, a scaffolding of words to explain it, or or as being deliberately obfuscating, um, uh, and. Uh, that puts a barrier between the viewer and the and the piece it seems to me uh, yeah. and and i think sometimes is done just to be clever yes. rather than to engage in, intentionally um, less beautiful because 
I've, I've heard that again and again that beauty is, beauty is the enemy of some of this artwork because it stops you thinking about them, which I think is absolute rubbish, but that's another matter. Yeah. Did did, uh, did anybody uh, see the or hear the Grayson Perry Reith lectures from 2013, which are now available again on the BBC? I mean, he's really, really interesting about that and brings up Marcel Duchamp a lot in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, the, the way that, you know, the, asking the question, anything can be art. And and mm. it's quite clear. I, I, I think what's great about Grayson Perry is he, he, he is he's a wonderful presenter. Um but he doesn't necessarily answer the question. He he poses it, and you're left to you know draw your own conclusions, especially about his opinions. But I I found his his kind of objection to this uh, very conceptual notion of art rather refreshing in a way because you feel a lot of contemporary artists they've got to be cool, you know, and and it's not cool to um, you know to be into beauty, for example. Yeah. But he clearly is. So you know that's uh, that, that was nice nice to know. Right, on to the next question. We've got a question from Tony Gaskins. I, um, I think we may have covered bits of this in the other one, but if, this, if, if you want to engage with a little bit of, of it, uh, we have, to what extent do the environmental challenges the world faces inspire or inhibit your creativity? Um, Joe. To, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's a, a really wonderful question in, in all sorts of ways. I actually think that, that the... Uh, I mean, I, I, it's very difficult to know how much one should admit, but I have I have carried my camera with me on my exercise walks on a few occasions. Am I allowed to do that? Um, okay. I, and actually, I do, you know, for me, I, I have been out walking in the woods every day for the last month since, uh, since and although I know my local woods really, really well, I've never done so in such a, a kind of concentrated fashion as I have uh, in this last month. And... I have I have used my camera, and while I don't know that I've actually created anything really really new in terms of uh, photographic style or, or anything, but I I feel I've noticed a great deal more as a result of that concentrated seeing. So um, if if the question uh, around environmentalism is by doing less can you achieve more creatively, I, I think possibly so. Um, I mean, I love the stimulus of the new. And if we were going to explore that question in depth, I, I would want to really say that, you know, both way, both ways of being, you know, being in one place or, or and the, the question, or do you travel instead, both add to your creativity or, or give insight. Uh, and I'll try to keep this really short, but what, what you achieve, I think, by staying in one place is depth is that you get a chance to repeat and to revisit and to notice the subtleties um, in, and changes in nature, if you're a nature photographer. Uh, when you travel, uh, and while, of course, that is a guilty kind of admission, um, well, especially for David and I, who still travel quite a bit, well, not at the moment, obviously, um, there's a huge stimulus in that. And also there's, there's time to reflect on your life when you're on the plane, you sort of sometimes 10 hours with not a great deal to do. And I very rarely get that at home, you know, so that's great. And I, I do love that. But uh, so that gives a breadth as well. You see different landscapes, different parts of the world, different environments, you meet different people. And that that also, I think, allows you to to address the peculiarities of your own life and place of work and place of living. So the two work for me really well together. I wouldn't want to do only travel and I wouldn't wouldn't want to live in one place forever 
I think the stimulus of both is is invaluable. But at this moment, and I suppose especially moving forward, and we're trying to reduce our collective carbon footprint, then the emphasis may have to change. David? Remind me of the question. (laughs) 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 To what extent do the environmental challenges the world faces inspire and inhibit and or inhibit your creativity? Uh, well, I suppose the the inhibition, yes, is that there are now places that I probably would not go back to when 15 years ago I would have thought nothing about um, uh, doing that. Um, but I would now worry about whether that's, uh, you know, a, a good thing to do environmentally to take a, a flight a long, long way. Um, do they inspire me? Um, well, this is a this is an even guiltier thing for me. Um, I don't think they do. I don't make pictures that are about climate change or environmental issues or or in any way documentary. Um, uh, I I I was a, a talk given by Jerry Badger many years ago now, um, and he presented. Um, a set of photographs which I think was titled something like um, European Documentary Photography Since the Second World War. And it was the most miserable set of photographs I've ever seen in my life. It was really, you know, you just felt really miserable at the end of it. Uh, and and there was a Q&A session and, and I, I managed to ask, ask him, um, did he consider himself to be an optimist or a pessimist? And he said he considered himself to be an optimist. And I said, well, that's interesting because that is the most pessimistic set of photographs I've ever, ever seen that you've just shown and you were very enthusing about. But um, so I I posited the idea that maybe what we try and do with our photography is to try and balance ourselves somehow or other. Um, And I am a pessimist. I'm I'm a a serious (laughs) pessimist. And I try and make optimistic photographs something that gives me joy and I think I think I would not be capable of making really pessimistic photographs and I think the subject of climate change and all of that environmental stuff is, for me is very uh, emotionally charged and it should as an artist it should be something that inspires me but it has the opposite effect I'm perfectly willing to engage on it at a political level and a, an intellectual level but not with my own art can I yeah. can I just jump in there because Tim we're sure we'd like to know what you think about this too but I think it's possible to make pictures that are environmentally entirely relevant that are also optimistic so I, I don't know it'd be interesting to know if Tony's question was intending to lead us in a particular direction but the sort of questions that that, that uh, the sort of photographs that David is is mentioning which one perhaps would, would think of um, and, and huge environmental damage pollution we see a great deal of it in in the documentary field um you know can still be quite quite beautiful and can really be be striking but i think that that images that show the beauty of of this world and 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 especially when they're framed in a in a sense in a way uh, that reminds you of of their fragility are also valuable because uh they they you know do give hope and hope is is pretty important too at a time of uh, 
a sort of critical time for the for the planet that we are in now. Uh, so I, I do think that that can still, you know, hopeful, optimistic pictures, and especially when, you know, we we're able to perhaps we do need words to put them in context as well, um, have something to say in the environmental debate because we need to address the, the risk of loss for future generations as well. So I think there's all sorts of styles of photography that can be taken on uh, in, in relation to the environmental debate. And it's, it doesn't all have to be negative. So it's not, I'm not uh, disagreeing what, with what David's saying. I'm just saying that there's, a, there's more to it than, than just the Just, just the providing a balanced viewpoint. There you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, 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 no, I agree with you on that. I think it's maybe, for me, it's more that... Um, uh, whilst I make photographs in the landscape, I don't always think of the landscape as the subject. Um, it's the raw material in a way. Um, and for a, a lot a lot of what I'm interested in when making photographs is about understanding uh, the gap between how I see and how the camera sees. Uh, and so um, I think that's uh, that's my inspiration. That that's my area of the philosophical inquiry, artistic inquiry, um, and so I don't, I haven't yet. Let's put it that way. I haven't yet come across uh, something that would inspire me to make a pictures that a series of pictures that's specifically themed around environmental or climate change issues. Interestingly, I, I think a lot of your photographs do address uh, natural processes, uh, so. And in that way, they can be incredibly insightful into aspects of nature. But uh, yeah, from what you're saying, the actual theme of um, environmental tension around human occupation of the land is is not the specific the- specific theme. But many of your pictures, uh, you could say, show man-made objects sometimes being reabsorbed by natural processes. And you know, for me, there's a there's a kind of uh, metaphorical element to them in that sense, you know that they it's like dust to dust in a sense. If you think of it in that, yeah, in well, that. I mean that's the that's the um, a, a strand that goes right the way back to the Romantic poets and the Romantic artists, isn't it? That you know what, why ruins are so beautiful is because they're returning to nature, isn't it? Exactly, it's, it's yeah. the sort of yeah. underlying feeling of that. Um, I have to say, it's completely accidental. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I, think I, I think I'd say the same about my own photography. And I mean, if if we take my photographs limited to Scotland, I would say that the majority of the Scottish landscape is showing the impact of man. It's, it's a political landscape, if ever there was one. Um, and so you can't help but record some of that in your work. Uh, but I don't want to. I don't want the work to say that. I don't mind saying it in retrospect. Um, but when I'm photographing, it's it's not something that's it might might be something that engages me when I notice how many how few trees there are in the land or how the land's been divided. Um, but it's not something I'm conscious of very often. Should we go for the next question, which is oh Helen Isles asks Marmite, yes or no? Yes. No. There we go. Samael. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get this name wrong. Samuel MacDonald asks, in the grand scheme of human artistic endeavour, what value does landscape photography present? Discuss. 
Can't come with a bigger question, Tim. <laughs> uh, I suppose that's just saying, is it? Can, is it relevant? Can, well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm sure, I'm really looking forward to hearing what David's going to say. So I'm going to give him time to prepare <laughs> his answer by answering first, because um, yeah. I'm sure he'll come up with something far more erudite than I can manage. Uh, but what I would like to to say on that is that uh, it is actually to bring up the comparison of painting. So if we if we wind back 230, 240, 50 years uh, in in the sort of late um, uh, years of uh, Sir Joshua Reynolds, when uh, the the whippersnappers uh, Joseph Mallord, William Turner, and John Constable were still young young painters, uh, Reynolds was saying that in in a hierarchy of painting, that history painting was the top of the tree you know and after that it might be something like portraits and somewhere way 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 down the scale was landscape painting and what's really kind of fascinating about it is that in the history of uh, contemporary painting and and it's really really back in, and in the UK back to Turner and Constable you know landscape is recognized as an enormously important genre of painting and in fact Turner and Constable are probably the most well-known and widely respected, internationally widely respected painters in in the kind of British pantheon of artists. So, And their theme is landscape. I mean, you could say that there's human elements to it. Of course, that's absolutely true. But anybody who looks at Turner will know that nature has the upper hand most of the time. And so I, I would put it that uh, the photography is a an art form like painting with different means um, and landscape is a vital force within it just as all the other genres of photography are I wouldn't want to like Reynolds set up a hierarchy but I think it's a very very important part of photography and a very important art form has he had enough time <laughs> um, well, I was going to take it in a, in a slightly different direction. I think I wasn't going to put it in a in a um, aesthetic or a, or a cultural um, context. Particularly, I was going to put it in a personal context. I mean, I, I think and anything that anybody does that actually enriches their own lives, if they're a landscape photographer and they love it and it enriches their lives, then that's a great thing to do. I think that puts it wherever wherever you want it to go in terms of enrichment and and that's that's a really important thing to me. Maybe it's not as important as particle physics, maybe it's not as important as Shakespeare. But who the hell can make those decisions? I I, I don't know that you can. I think all you can say is on a personal level is this enriching? Does it enrich the people who you present it to? Does it does it make their lives a little bit richer? Um, and I think that that's a, a great thing for any artist to do. Whether you know, and, and enrichment doesn't have to be joyous. It can be it can be um, other other emotions as well, obviously. Um, so uh, I think it's I think it's a it's an impossible calculation to make. I'll I'll finish it off by saying um, what has been the population's major urge since lockdown. Um, Get out. 
uh, well, and, that, and to the landscape, the that, peaks and Snowdonia, etc. That that should be a, a rest my case, my lord, kind of moment. But uh, <laughs> I really like David's answer; it was fantastic. So, yeah, agree with you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I we'll like have, yours as well. <laughs> we'll have one final question from Anna Duke, uh, which is to ask about the other: what makes their images so special? I'm just going to try and work that one out myself. <laughs> so each of us to ask each other. I think what, so. Yes. So if I asked you, Tim, what you think um, makes my images special, I think is what that means, and go round. I think so. Or I, I suppose you've got to talk about why your own images are so special. So yes, okay. No, I'm not a clue. <laughs> I think I think they're talking about you and Joe. So we'll, we'll, you can ask uh, you can ask Joe. Oh, Joe, <laughs> what makes my images halfway decent? <laughs> oh dear, this is a, it, it, well. I've enjoyed your pictures for so long, and it, I, there's always a risk with uh, with answering it of sounding sort of facile or obvious. But uh, to me, what what I think what I love about your work the most is that it's both deeply rooted in reality, and yet it's also extremely mysterious. So very often you find yourself looking at a, a David Ward picture and and you're not quite sure what it is, but then you actually do know exactly what it is and it's become something else in in your mind and in your imagination. And that's, I mean, they're often quite straightforward in the sense that there's a kind of formal simplicity and elegance to them, which has a, a value in its own right. But it's almost always, there's almost always a, a twist or a tension uh, that he creates as well, which oh is oh my important. god, I didn't know I was doing all of that stuff. Yeah, well, I'd say so. I mean, I could go into specific pictures, but this is, I think it is a podcast rather than a video, so we, <laughs> we have to uh, take that into account. But um, yeah, I think it, it's a, uh, you do all the stuff that you were talking about earlier, which is to explore the difference between human vision and the vision of the camera, and they are very different. And it is the the that difference is a, a very important. Uh, attribute in photography and I think it's important that photographers you know do explore that reality the diff that difference but you've taken it as it were as an end in itself which is really fascinating as most people perhaps don't or don't even address the issue at all i.e the difference between the camera's eye and and the human eye uh, but you play with it and they're very a lot of your pictures are also very playful and a lot of fun and and they catch you out, and it's it's that fun, sort of mystery, kind of tension, and yet also they're beautiful, all at the same time. How's that? It's far too fulsome, and I have... <laughs> <laughs> uh, return the favour. <laughs> Gosh, um, well, I think when I first saw your pictures, Joe, which was oh god, a long time ago now, in the mid 80s would it have been I guess we probably some stuff for the National Trust and, and things like that um, I was I was struck about how um, subtle they were um, how cleverly you worked the composition because they, they often seem quite straightforward but they're but they're really not there's lots of very clever use of light and color and shade um, and I, and I think that was what first attracted me to them. But then 
when you get to know your body of work, and especially if I look at something like um, Scotland's Mountains or, or the, the Coast book, um, that you realise that um, there's a connectedness, I think, in, in your photography. You're very, very firmly rooted in, uh, I think, what you would describe as the, uh, the eyewitness tradition. Um, and so there's a deep-seated connectedness to the place. And for me... One of the one of the things that I find most frustrating about some photographers is that they is that they consume, they don't commune, they don't they don't have that relationship. Um, so I, I love that in your work, um, and I think that's a reflection of you as a human. You know, you're you're very uh, connected to what fascinates you uh, in the landscape. Um, and that and that's that's not always the case. Not all photographers actually uh, reflect their deep personal traits in in their work. So I think I think that's that's very important. Um, you are, I think, very possibly the greatest technician that I know. Oh, come off it! <laughs> no, no, you are. You are a much better technician than I am. Um, and uh, and that's that's really interesting to me. I you know I've learned so much from working with you over the years and um uh and yeah i'm for you're forever coming up with something like i should know that and i'm going yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. i've always used that yeah yeah (laughs) so um yeah i I think it's um it's a combination of uh, of a very a, a beautiful sense of light and proportion uh and and that connectedness that feeling blending the two together i think is what makes your pictures special for me Thank you. And and that is what's going to make it very interesting when we see your photographs from the lockdown project. Oh. <laughs> no pressure. I think no pressure. No, absolutely. I think just to just to make clear to everybody that that both Tim and David have been the uh, the, the kind of teachers' pets in this group and uh, and already produced their work from the lockdown project. And I've completely failed to get my camera out yet, which is terrible. But I, I it's all right. Uh, You've got detention tonight. Oh, blimey. Okay. Uh, we have an extension though you're okay because we have until next time we do the podcast which will probably be next monday and we're going to include everybody else's photographs we have about 10 different people have submitted little lockdown projects which is quite nice to see okay thank you very much both of you that's uh, 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 the end of all the questions we've had so far i'm sure we'll have a few more before the next episode um and we also, don't forget, we have the book review, uh, overview, discussion, which will also be next week, which we're looking forward to. So until then, thank you, David and Joe. Thanks, Tim. Thank you.